910 Ministries podcast, No Trash, Just Truth, with hosts Chris Paxson and Rose Spiller. At Proverbs 910 Ministries, we are dedicated to taking out the trash of false teaching and replacing it with biblical truth. Welcome back. Last week, we began looking at a judge who really defines the term hot mess. We started delving into the story of Samson, but this guy's so complex, we couldn't do it in one episode and we ran out of time. So this week, we're going to continue. Right. So if you remember, after the fiasco of Samson's wedding feast, Samson's wife's been given to another man, Samson's best man. When Samson goes back looking for her, his father-in-law insults him by offering him her younger sister instead. In revenge of this, since it's harvest time, Samson burns all the Philistines' crops before they could gather anything. And here's the crazy way that he did it. I'll read from Judges 15 about it. It's 15 verses 4 and 5. It tells us, So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches, and he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. So Samson's angry, (laughs) and that anger Mm -hmm. is sinful and ungodly. But Here we see again, God using it for his purposes. And also again, it doesn't excuse Samson or relinquish his responsibility for his sin. It just shows that God can use everything for his purpose. So what about these 300 foxes? Most commentators agree these are probably jackals, which is a cross between a fox and a wolf. And jackals were known to run in really large packs, sometimes up to 200, whatever they were. There is no way Samson's able to tie 300 together tail to tail with a torch if it weren't for the power of God. No, they'd never sat still for it, probably. (laughs) It's crazy. But in revenge for burning the crops, the Philistines kill Samson's wife and father-in-law by burning them alive. And Samson's disobedience continues. He's ready for more revenge. He lashes out at the Philistines and then hides in the cleft of a rock. The Philistines go to the Israelites, to the tribe of Judah, looking for Samson. They raid one of the towns and then tell the men of Judah Judah, that they want Samson. 3,000 men of Judah go to Samson and tell him that they need to turn him over to the Philistines. And they blame him for the trouble that they're now having with the Philistines. Now, granted, Samson has been a really lousy judge, but this is the first time that we see the Israelites not accepting their God-appointed leader. That's right. Shows just how bad things were all around in Israel. We talked about how people like to have a victorious and good leader when we were talking about Gideon a few episodes ago. And here we see the opposite. When there's a bad leader in place, one that seems to be out only for themselves and what they can get out of their position, the people under them will lose all confidence in them. They won't want to follow them. Just as the Israelites are willing to sacrifice Samson to save themselves, those under a really bad leader will often do the same. Yeah, they will. So it also shows us something else, though, too. The Israelites are choosing their oppressors over God's appointed believer. In essence, they're saying that they don't need or want God. Remember, they haven't even cried out to him to be delivered yet. They were good with the things just as they were. They just wanted everything to go back to how it was, even if it meant handing over God's appointed judge to the enemy. That's right. Now, Samson agrees to let them turn him over so long as they promise not to do anything to him themselves, and they agree. They tie him with ropes, and they turn him over to the Philistines. 
After he's turned over to the Philistines, Judges 15, 14 to 15 says, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found the fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it. And with it, he struck a thousand men. So there's a couple of things we need to take note of here. First, Samson, again, breaks the Nazarite vow by picking up the fresh jawbone of a donkey. And he starts his confrontation with the Philistines by sinning. And yet he's victorious. And the only way he could have possibly been victorious, killing a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey, is the same way he was able to be victorious, tying up 300 foxes and attaching torches to their tails. The answer is because God is the one doing the fighting. Just as we've seen in all these accounts of judges, this is holy war. Holy war is used for the purpose of conquering or protecting the promised land. So in case you're thinking, dang, I got to get me a donkey jawbone, don't bother. Because just like the other judges, God is merely using them as a means to work through. And while we aren't told how this whole scene played out, I got to say, it sounds pretty cool. I'd like to see it. <laughs> or maybe I wouldn't like to see it. Hmm. Think about that. Yeah. I don't know. It may have been pretty cool. And Samson knows it's the hand of God that won the battle, but he doesn't marvel at this miracle for very long. He says to God, you've granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Samson cares about yep. nothing but himself. That one line is the extent of his praising and thanking God for this amazing thing. He's just like, he just killed a thousand men with a donkey jawbone. Yep. Yeah, and and his, after his bonds, you know, hands melted away. I know. This is why he's the hot mess. He is. So Samson will basically destroy and kill for any offense against him. He is entrenched in his sin. He is. But he knows his very existence depends on God, which is why he cries after him for water. And God very graciously gives it to him. You got to wonder, why would God give Samson water after how un ungrateful he's behaving? Well, the answer is very simple, because God wants to. God has a purpose for all of this. God's using Samson to begin delivering the Israelites from the Philistines, just like was prophesied. It's not about Samson. It never was about Samson. It's all about God, his mercy, his victory, his delivering his people, and his glory. Right. In Judges 16, we see Samson's character flaws and sinful nature once again controlling him. Judges 16.1 says, Samson went to Gaza and there he saw a prostitute and he went into her. Samson has a lot of issues, no doubt. Lust is yeah. definitely one of them. But God is still with him. The men of Gaza shut the gates of the city trying to trap him in but he rips the gates off and carries them on his shoulders. And Chris, this isn't like garden gates. These are gates to a city. Yeah, right. And after this is a very familiar narrative. Samson falls in love with a woman named Delilah. We all probably know someone who's always seems to be falling for the wrong type of person. Well, that would be Samson. Although it's doubtful Samson actually loved Delilah, it was probably more like he was in lust with her. And she was even worse. She sells him out for 1,100 pieces of silver. Judges 16 verses 5 and 6 tells the story. It says, and the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where he, his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him. 
and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Sam, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. And I have no idea why red flags didn't go up here, but it even gets worse. Samson mm -hmm. lies to her a couple times about the sources of her strength. And every time he does, Delilah tries it out. For example, Judges 16, 7 to 9. If you bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak like any other man. Then the Lord of the Philistines bought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound them with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in the inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Now, Chris, like I said, you'd think there'd be some red flags here for Samson. Yeah, you would think. That, I mean, hello, you think you would get a clue. But Samson's so entrenched in his sin, and he's, he's enslaved by them. And he gets progressively worse as the story goes on. This is the pattern of sin for everybody. It starts out just as a desire. But if you let it flourish, it takes control of you. Delilah continues to nag and pout and whine, just like his wife did. Samson can't handle it. And he tells her what she wants to know eventually. Judges 16, 16 to 17 tells us, when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart, and he said to her, Razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Does this guy never learn his lesson? Yeah. Telling Delilah this was a huge deal. He was chosen by God, consecrated as a Nazarite, and he was under that covenant, yet he gives Delilah the information that would cause him to break one of the vows, the last of his three vows, just because she's nagging him. And what makes it even crazier is that he doesn't seem to get suspicious when he gives her false things and she tries it out on him. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. He, unless he thought he was invincible. He's supposed to be the deliverer Maybe. of Israel, yet he's putting everything in jeopardy just to get a nagging woman off his back. Remember we said that Samson's weakness with women would be his downfall? Well, here it's come to pass. When this story is told, especially in children's Sunday school, it always seems like Samson's strength was in his hair and that having his hair cut is what makes him lose it. But as we said, that wasn't the case at all. Samson's hair was symbolic of the strength that he had been given by the Holy Spirit. This was nothing magical with his hair. Samson had already broken two Nazarite vows before this, and now here he breaks the third and final one by having his hair cut. Symbolically, he had broken off his relationship with God by forsaking this last vow. He didn't lose his strength because they cut his hair. He lost his strength because God had left him. Perhaps the situation with Delilah was a test, one that failed miserably by disregarding the last of the Nazarite vows, and through it, disregarding God. So God left him, at least for the time being. But as we're going to see, this proves to be the most merciful thing that God could have possibly done for Samson. That's right. When Samson woke up, he knew something was wrong, but he thought he would go out as before, shake himself off, and attain victory over his enemies, just like every other time. He didn't know that God had left him. And since the spirit had left him, so had his strength. 
Samson thought God would never leave him and continue to give him victory, but he was wrong. Isn't it crazy that Samson didn't leave Delilah after telling her about cutting his hair? Instead, he fell asleep on her lap. His arrogance has reached a new high. He wasn't even concerned enough to stay awake. Yeah, and what happens when he does fall asleep? Judges 16, 9 to 21 tells us. It says, she, meaning Delilah, called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. Sounds horrible. It does sound horrible. And nothing could be more fitting than Samson being blinded. After all, it was his eyes and what seemed right to them that got him into trouble. Perhaps once he was blind, he could finally see. Who would blame God if he left Samson to his own consequences? Instead, though, we see God offer Samson mercy and hope. This mercy and hope are contained in one small line in Judges 16.22. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. His hair began to grow back. Yeah, even though there's nothing magical about his hair, its regrowth was a sign that God was not forsaking him. And like we said, getting captured by the Philistines, losing his strength and having his eyes gouged out was a very merciful thing that God uh, did for him. We've seen this throughout the book of Judges. The people have no idea that they're enslaved to sin until God physically enslaves them. And the Philistines are not done with Samson yet. They hold a festival to their pagan god Dagon in their pagan temple. I'll read a little bit more from Judges 16, 23 to 27. Now the Lord of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of prison, and he entertained them. I don't know what he did, but he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. The message of the Philistines was clear. They said, our God is stronger than the God of Israel because we have conquered Samson. That's how they thought about it. Mm -hmm. The defeat of Samson was seen as the defeat of Yahweh by the Philistines. Their god, Dagon, had beaten Yahweh in their eyes. They were so confident in the defeat of Samson and Yahweh that as they mock him, they leave a boy to guard him. Again, this supports the argument that Samson was not a muscle-bound man who was naturally strong and that his strength was completely supernatural. Samson cries out to God, Oh, Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. Oh, God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Okay, so Samson's still only thinking about himself, but mm -hmm. God gives Samson his last greatest victory only when he was broken, when he was humiliated, and when he's blind. Prior to this, we don't see Samson praying much, 
but at least here he prayed, if not a little bit self-serving, it's still praying. And Judges 16, 29 to 30 tells us how it all went down. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than the, those he killed during his life. Samson did far more for Israel in his death than he did throughout his entire life. We could easily look at Samson and say that he was a failure, but he isn't. How do we know? Because he's listed in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews eleven thirty-two to 34. I'll read that. It says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. David Guzik says something pretty profound about all this. He said, God used all of this to advance his plan for Israel and redemption. Yet because of Samson's disobedience, it all happened at a great personal cost to Samson. It's fair to suppose that if Samson were obedient, God would have furthered his plan in a way that blessed Samson. I think that's a great point. We said that God will accomplish his purposes through people's sins, but if people didn't sin, God's purposes will still be accomplished. He didn't need Samson to sin to begin destroying the Philistines. And if Samson hadn't sinned, he would not have paid such high consequences. It's exactly the same with us. God's purposes through us will be accomplished, whether we sin or don't. The difference is, what is the cost that we'll pay for choosing to sin? Yeah, good point. Before we end, there's a couple things we want to note. First, you may think Samson is nothing like Jesus, and in most ways he wasn't. But all the judges point to the only perfect judge, the only perfect savior, the only perfect deliverer that there could ever be. So let's look at a few similarities between Samson and Jesus. And I got this from Reformation Theology, their page. I've edited it, and I've taken out a few just for time purposes. So we're only going to look at a couple, but it's a great read. And we won't read the scripture references, but if you're interested, they'll be in the transcript. I'll start by reading the first one. When Samson became a man, the spirit began to stir him near the border of Dan, the tribe who introduced idolatry to Israel. It was also the place where the Philistine captors were. When Jesus started his public ministry, the spirit took him to the wilderness on the border of Israel, where the enemy was and where Satan, the ultimate enemy, was. Another thing, Samson took a wife to the disgust of his people and parents. Jesus would take a bride to church that included Gentiles, the disgust of the Jews of the first century. Samson had a marriage feast and gave a riddle that the Philistines couldn't understand until Samson's bride revealed it to them. He promised to clothe them if they understood the riddle. It was only those who persisted that learned the answer from the bride. In parallel, Jesus taught the mystery of the gospel. Those who learn the secret from his bride, the church, and who persist to find the answer will be clothed in wedding garments and be brought to his great wedding feast. And gosh, I thought, you know, I was just thinking too of the parables. They were riddles. I was thinking that too when you were reading. Same thing. Yeah. Imagine that. You were thinking it too. <laughs> 
another similarity. The proper answer to Samson's riddle was actually Christ. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Jesus gave his body and blood for us that when we partake of it, we're fed spiritually for all time. Because of him, we have forgiveness and reconciliation with God. And is there anything sweeter than that? Nope. Samson was at war with the Philistines, but he was bound with cords by his own people. He easily snapped off the bond, took the jawbone of a donkey and killed a thousand Philistines. Here's another picture of the gospel. Jesus was bound by his own people. And then Satan thought he could destroy him. But Jesus broke the bonds and instead slaughtered them all and put them to shame. Moreover, the unlikely weapon of a donkey's jawbone suggests the unlikely way in which Christ would win his first victory. First, through humility, riding on a donkey as he entered the city, and second, through his own death, as it was a dead bone that Samson used. I'll give a couple more. After Samson killed the 1,000 men, he cried out to God that he was thirsty at the place of Lehi, which means jawbone. God made a spring of living water to refresh him. This is a parallel to when Jesus cried out, he is thirsty, when winning his victory on the cross and also to how his death will bring living waters of the spirit to flow forth to give life to the world. Here's another one. When the Philistines set an ambush for Samson, he tore off the gates of the city and carried them to the hilltop very far away. So too, the gates of hell would not prevail against Jesus, but he would make his church stand strong against them and batter them down. And there's another one. All the strategies and devices by which the Philistines sought to trap Samson through Delilah were of no use as long as he had his hair, which is a type of anointing of the Holy Spirit. All the devices of the devil are useless against the Lord because he's strong to prevail by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we'll just do a couple more. Maybe most important, Samson's death is similar to Christ's death. Samson finally seemed to be overcome, and they led him away, weak, blind, helpless, to grind at the mill. Then, when they had a great feast at their temple, they brought him in to mock him and jeer him. But they didn't realize that his hair, which signified the Spirit's anointing, had grown back, and he called out to God and stretched out his hands and bought down the temple on the heads of them all, so that by his death, he destroyed far more Philistines than he destroyed in his life. Jesus, too, was led away, weak, overcome, and while he was taken captive for a time, he was grinding out the bread of life for his own people by his sweat and tears and sufferings. The demons saw this and rejoiced. They gathered around the mocking. Suddenly, however, they were all destroyed, and it was only then that they realized that he who they thought had been overcome and lost his power was actually filled with immense power of the Holy Spirit, sufficient enough to annihilate them. So through weakness and humility, Christ by his death overcame all the mocking devils and put them to open shame by the blood of the cross. And this typical death of Samson still stands as an outstanding foreshadow of that triumph through death that would one day come through Jesus. Hmm. Samson's life and death are filled with more gospel examples than any of the previous judges. But, too, Samson had more weaknesses and failures than any of the judges before him. Like Israel, Samson's lust for whores, which is idols for the Israelites, ensnared him in sin until he, it finally became his undoing. We can parallel this to the Israelites who God ultimately sent into exile for their sin. 
Most of them were destroyed and only a remnant remained. Samson's life serves as an example of the need for a strong deliverer, not a sinful, flawed deliverer. God's people needed then and still need today a godly deliverer. Samson was born to begin the deliverance of his people from the Philistines. Jesus has completed the deliverance of his people for all time. And that's where we need to end today. Thanks for listening. Be sure to stay tuned for release information and the cover reveal of our new book, The Bible Blueprint, a guide to better understanding the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And if you like what you hear on our podcast, please subscribe to our Proverbs 910 ministry channel on Rumble or YouTube. You can also subscribe to the audio podcast on whatever platform you listen on, so you'll never miss an episode. We would greatly appreciate you rating and reviewing us on whatever platform you are tuning in on, and consider following us on MeWe, Facebook, or Instagram to get all the latest happenings of Proverbs 910 Ministries, including daily posts, book news, Bible studies, speaking engagements, and more. Have a blessed day, everybody. Bye.